Hi, welcome to Articulate. My name is Divya. Today I am so thrilled and honored to speak with Almut Tebenhoff, who is arguably one of Britain's leading artists in the country. Born in Furstenau in Northwest Germany, uh, Almut moved to England in 1969, where she studied ceramics at the Sir John Cass School of Art. In 1981, Almut established her Southfield studio and started working in clay and wood. She later completed a two-year course in metal fabrication, which enabled her to explore steel as her signature material. Although her early pieces are monochrome and are abstracted explorations of space and volume, Almut quickly moved towards a freer mode of expression, creating explosive forms in bright colors through a steady evolution of processes. Her current themes investigate light, space and the origins of matter. In 2006, after receiving the Fondazione Sem Scholarship from Italy, Almuth has added marble as material for her sculptures into her repertoire. She is a fellow of the British, Royal British Society of Sculptors and was elected as its vice president last year. She has exhibited widely in Britain and Europe and in 2009 she created the Star of London Award for the British Film Institute Film Festival and in 2013 curated the annual sculpture exhibition at the University of Leicester. These are a few among her numerous other accomplishments. I am so honoured. Welcome, Almut. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my podcast. This is uh, such an honour. I'm so pleased. <laughs> Thank you, Daniela. That's very kind of you. I'm so forward to talking with you. Yeah, I mean, I have like a um, hundred questions, I think, and I wish we had all the time. But then, um, like, I've just, um, you know, shared um, the questions with you, the more important ones. So let's, I usually start off by asking my guests to speak a bit about their um, childhood. And I know for a fact that you were quite a precocious child who knew already that she, you wanted to be an artist and your father was a big influence. And, um, and you uh, came out of Germany quite early on. So could you go a little bit back into your childhood and talk about uh, what your influences were and how you um, thought of becoming an artist in the first place? Okay. Um, I, I, I was... Um, I, I didn't uh, initially um, think I'd be an artist uh, as a child, because I uh, I I just loved messing around in the in the earth and and uh, you know sort of running away from home and doing all sorts of things that uh, um, that a creative person does. Um, I uh, I loved um, I loved the country and the the earth and uh, and my dad, uh, who was a very stern German um, farmer. Um, who uh, who also was a blacksmith as by as a hobby and uh, so I spent a lot of time in my childhood uh, crouching behind the generator in the forge and uh, and watching him hammer um, steel bits iron bits and, and forming things and building machinery I mean he was very creative and I loved that um, that aspect of him very much because it's something I, I always did myself I you know, picking up bits and, and just putting bits together and and uh, digging ditches and making water courses join up and, and yeah. um, floating things in rivers and 
you know, it was a, it, in some ways, I, I think it was the ideal childhood because it was so close to nature, yeah. and it all, you know, that that really teaches you something because Absolutely. you, um, you you watch animals, you you see them being slaughtered, you you watch them being born, which is incredible. I mean, it's it's. I find that all that that I absorbed in that childhood, uh, I left Germany when I was about 17, but all those things are sort of fed into me. Was it very rural, the place? Uh, yes, yeah, it was a, a very remote farm. Um, so uh, it was a sort of like a little unit uh, where, where, you know, the farm workers' kids came. Uh, we all played together. There was no kind of hierarchy it right. was just you know running through the woods wild and and uh, trying to do all sorts of uh, naughty things like smoking bits of straw you know because <laughs> we'd seen the grown-ups smoke cigarettes so like the old yeah uh, like anything or rub it in, in uh, wrap it up in in uh, sort of cabbage leaves <laughs> it's disgusting but anyway that was really a fantastic start um to a, a sort of like a really deep creativity. Right. So did you have other role models in the family that you um, you looked up to who said who, who probably are were artists and um, because, you know, it's very I, rare I, that you would think of art as a career or as a livelihood. Well, the, you see, that was just not uh, not that wasn't really an option because um, there was no um, no role model as such. I mean, my grandmother was very skilled as a uh, painting and drawing, but that was just uh, that something she had done earlier on, and uh, kind of had it knocked out of her. Because I mean, so imagine a very sort of strict. Um, in some ways, I mean, um, the society was very strict and very. Um, and it was just, just out of the war, also, I think. I mean, and it just, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, during the war, people had more urgent things to do to yeah. survive, and on a on farm in particular, you you have the seasons to deal with and all all that. So art was considered to be a luxury. Yeah. So, uh, but at the same time, she did have a skill to observe and to sort of do lovely drawings. And uh, so I, I saw that that was something that I always felt was, was uh, lovely to see, but I, I hadn't really, uh, the, the, there was nobody there that sort of said, it's okay to be an artist. Really? And I had to say, uh, you know, I, I had to sort of claim that I had to sort of find the audacity in myself to say I'm going to do this and that but that came later on because first of all um I had to survive you know so when I arrived in England I had to sort of make sure I had some roof over my head I worked as an au pair girl which is actually a sort of a good in-between stage yeah. and, and then did sort of bits of secretarial work and, uh, and then I got married very young because I, I needed a, a family sort of thing, a home. Right, and, right. So that, that kind of came first. I had to sort of deal with the basics first. Mm -hmm. and, and then I could, uh, when they were covered, then I felt I could move on and uh, 
you know, uh, look look towards art, which had been at the back of my mind. I think I think so. You because you made that um, decision in your head so early on, such an intrepid decision to leave Germany and come to England, yeah. and then fi- find your base in terms of finding a, a partner, and then that's so. Uh, I think that was the changing the you know your the moment for you when things started happening quite early on that's really clever that you found that art was your calling so um could you tell us a little more about how uh, london was when you moved here in the 60s because for uh, for me um in india we were completely uh, removed from the you know feminist uh, kind of um, movement that was happening in the us and i'm sure here again it was quite like um, new and quite unique and it was uh, quite uh, revolutionary so did that affect you in any way did you kind of were you influenced by the um, you know the you know Carolee Schneemans and the Mary Kellys who were like younger upcoming feminist artists of uh, America those days. Well, I think you know, that's really interesting uh, because art um, when you see great art and bold art and really influential art, it it gives you permission. Yeah, you know, it, 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 that's the beauty of it. It gives you permission to look and to also claim bits for yourself that you might not have um, claimed otherwise. And that was really, um, it, it, it was an eye opener, actually, bit by bit. Um, I looked around. I, uh, there, I mean, exhibitions were everywhere, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, you know, guys, you know, yeah. very well-known, well-established and big guys who, especially in sculpture, you know, because you need to be quite strong, really, to especially when you work with traditional materials. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then it, it just came as such a revelation to, sort of, to see women who used their feminine observation you know they didn't make uh work like guys did yeah they, they, they just used like their bodies yeah. you know it's i just i was blown away when i saw stuff like that yeah. so oh, Eva has, of course of course yeah Lee Krasner, um it's it's uh we're lucky <laughs> yeah i mean i think you're so lucky to be uh their contempt you know be that when they were you know coming up because now when i do art i look to them for inspiration i feel people say oh that's a bit dated isn't it i said no it's not we're still fighting for the same you know issues that they did those days isn't it yeah so um i know that from um in interviews that i've seen about um that you've given that the one and only eduardo paoluzzi's talent yes. spotted you <laughs> so how did that happen oh my god like in my foundation when I did, we were like looking at his work and we were reading about him and we saw his work in the Tate Britain. And now you say that you actually worked with him. So how was that experience? And did you feel validated in any way that he, you know, saw a, a spark in you and introduced you to the Royal College? Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing was also that he had a really uh, very brilliant mind and uh, he had that sort of audacity of an artist to just do what he wanted. It's the idea and, of the genius who can get away yeah, with anything. But yeah. the sort of thing that sort of looks at something, chops it up into bits and reassembles it and then looks at it again and uh, presents something entirely different, which has got um, the, a, a 
completely different energy because he's seen something in it and that was uh, absolutely fascinated yeah. me so i realized that that was an amazing opportunity for me to um to really find that similar kind of energy in myself which i hadn't because i hadn't been through a sort of a traditional art school yeah here, where that would have probably been part of the course mm. you know to sort of um, make you look at things differently but i i kind of didn't have the art school as such i trained in ceramics which is a completely different thing yeah and then there was Eduardo saying, you know, Potter, Potter, you know, just <laughs> just come do it, come visit and and help yourself to anything you like. So you know, I mean, kid in a sweet shop. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, uh, you know, he he really um, he really helped me, and uh, and I I made um, made use of all this these facilities at the Royal College from the library to lectures to drawing classes nice. to just sort of actually um, you know going through the studios um, and, and Eduardo showing me how to do things I mean he, he showed me how to make a mold with his own fair hands and oh you know stuff like that it was brilliant <laughs> and, uh, he introduced me to all sorts of things but PR things people you know people influential people but at the time I I was so unsure of myself because I felt there was such a gulf between what I felt I had to offer because I, I saw, I was aware that I had a huge lack of uh, uh, art education and mm. I had to sort of work it out myself. Yeah. But it meant that I couldn't talk with confidence in a group of, um, of uh, other artists or, or museum directors or whatever because I, I knew nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mind you, I don't know much more now, but it's somehow I've accumulated a lot more stuff. So, um, um, so that was uh, that was just incredibly lucky. It's um, that's the way it is, you mm. know. I, I I find that the only thing I can offer is, is being honest. Yeah. Really. Otherwise, I, you know, I have nothing. It has to be based in, in my real and only my experience is something I can talk about because um, I love listening to other people's experiences, but my own is, is the only thing I can offer with authority. And so. learn from, yeah, of course. So, after, so when did you really, um, you established your studio then and you worked with ceramics and wood, I know. So... Um, was it when you started your fabrication course when your father passed away and you inherited his um, um, welding welding, yeah. welding machine what's it called welding machine or welder yeah is that when you actually felt that you're able to actually you know um, translate your ideas into materials because you feel like you're able to sit on the material actually you know bring it um, in under control. Because most of the time, with as sculptors, you're limited by your own lack of knowledge of how to deal with materials. So did that work, going to uh, the fabrication course? Is that when you realize that you um, are seriously um, thinking of working as a sculptor? Um, well, I, um, before, before I did the, um, the welding course in 1985, um, I had... Uh, 
I had, I mean, sort of kicked off by, by Eduardo in the late 70s, I had sort of really embraced sculpture, but I had that limitation. I was working mostly with ceramics and trying to make all these uh, different things out of clay, which you can actually, because clay is incredible, yeah. because it, it you can form it any old way and, and it responds immediately. And if you get the skill, you can actually construct with it and build with it yeah. up to a certain size, you know, usually determined by the size of your kiln. But, yeah. but you can, uh, but you can do quite a, um, quite a lot with, with surface treatments and and all that sort of thing. So I was making all these weird sculptures and I think that's what Eduardo saw, that I had, I was pushing, pushing, pushing the material to ridiculous, to ridiculous extent and the material wasn't going to give anymore. So I had to move on and I think that's when I found that um, steel was going to allow me to work on a large scale. I could make things several meters big, um, which I I could never have done in a, with the clay um with ceramics and also it just um you know you, you can attach things with uh, with um steel you can weld it together if it's wrong you cut it up grind it off and then start again you can't do that with ceramics so it, it suddenly was much faster and uh, and i really really love that i it speeded me up it, it just opened up the three dimensions. First of all, I started with, when I started the welding, I made sort of things more in two dimension, like a, um, a sort of a geometric 3D illusion that I, were, uh, that I had made uh, on the wall. And, uh, and that's in the end, the sort of the 3D part of it came more to the foreground. And I wanted to make it really, really three dimensional. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's yeah so that the the my dad's welding machinery really, really <laughs> things off yeah. and also he, he'd been as uh, you know he'd been really territorial about it before you know he didn't uh, he didn't really want to share that um so oh, he was did. the one in the forge that was his bit and uh, wow. so when when he uh, when he died i thought this is you know now i can I can do it my way, you know, because he would have, otherwise he would have looked over my shoulder and said, no, no, that's not good enough, you know, this is how you do it. So I was free. Oh, gosh. More ways than one. So um, uh, that's amazing. And do you, uh, did you even then um, look to research and look to um, more conceptual ideas before you put that into uh, your work? And how did you even start with, making something do you draw how do you even go towards uh, a new project or new commission or new I, yeah I, I i do draw i get ideas usually first thing in the morning when i wake up i because the head's quite clear i find i'm i'm although i'm not an early morning person i might hang around till sort of eight or nine o'clock in bed and I'm get to know that in my head yeah. and then then i used to love working late at night because there's a sort of quality of stillness around it's almost like the you know as people go to sleep they don't sort of infest the air with too many thoughts <laughs> so, yeah. so the air is clear and uh, and that's when i love to sort of work um 
Uh, so most of the things that you work on are like bordering on the sublime and you talk about the cosmos and the universe and the electrons mm. and so um is do you ever like talk about i mean that's is that what you mostly work on the sublime and the the hyper object the the how small we are in relation to the universe that kind of thing or do you know i don't know why it is but i have this sense that it's you know the sense of of life beyond uh, of of existence beyond life you know so i feel i'm incredibly lucky i've got the life now it's fabulous to be alive but i know that it is that there's something beyond that i have no idea i I'm, i don't have a particular religion no okay and i don't think it's necessary to uh clothe it in religious terms because i think it's just an awareness that i think that there is something outside and somehow it draws me you know it's it's sort of i don't know what it is but it sort of uh, it it draws me from both ends you know sort of like um i've recently been thinking of who i was before i was born mm. you know sort of uh, you know what it is like not to have a um the senses so you've just got um a consciousness that doesn't run through the brain because that requires a, uh, an incarnated body you know this this kind of stuff absolutely um once uh, i want to express that because i i think it is um it is quite an important thing because if you can accept that then i think you get the right perspective perspective on life right you know because then it, it puts life into the right kind of uh, precious the, the 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 degree of preciousness you know life is incredibly precious and i think if you see it as a finite thing and you you live with your own mortality then uh, then you get a right attitude towards life because you treat it with huge respect, respect yes. this is, it's this uh, sort of amazing opportunity so that is something that i'm trying to express in uh, in uh, i want to bring that aspect my love for life and death you know i want to bring those together and and somehow find a way of, of saying it without making a sort of kitschy um cliched thing out of it like, it's, it's you, quite hard yeah amazing because you have good antecedents with the egyptians and the mayans who who try to do the same they try try to reach you know trans- transcend their humanity with their huge ramesses <laughs> yeah so you didn't want to make the cliche ramesses and sphinx and stuff but you make something that is yeah which makes people really forget about the present moment and just get completely um uh, well i meditate yeah. you know i mean something that i've been doing for now i think it's 37 years and uh um yeah almost to the month <laughs> and it is and uh, it, it is something that uh, that sort of stillness that um that sort of draw, that draws me in and also helps me to clear out ideas and get them um to the point where where they make sense the only you know in the way that I want to offer them yeah. into into life um Yeah, it's a it's a personal thing, you know, and it's uh, 
it's sometimes it's a little bit difficult to talk about it because people everybody has their own way of looking at it mm. the, so you know what what is true for me might not work for you so but anyway. it's quite um inspiration it kind of uplifting it, the, the fact that you even talking about it now it now puts your sculptures in, into perspective and you feel that i mean well, short term problems are just short term it's like you just look at the whole larger picture you know so, so um tell us about your um, pietra santa experience that's when you were introduced to marble that's when you moved you added marble rather into your sculpture making process uh, how did that come about and uh, i know that it's a regular now with you so what did you like about um, going back to pietra santa which is again michelangelo's village yeah, yeah. yeah. that's where you used to hang out <laughs> magic wow <laughs> yeah no it's um i i was it was just an, another one of these incredibly lucky opportunities some uh, a friend of mine colleague um um suggested that uh, i why don't i go and uh, come and visit and see what's going on there and you know because it is such an in, incredible center of of for, for sculptors mm-hmm. um and, and painters and all sorts of artists you know everybody hangs around there and yeah. especially in the evenings in the piazza you know? <laughs> um so i i was uh uh, I, I met people from Studio Sam, the director of Studio Sam, and uh, which is one of the uh, the, the uh, well, it's a very well known um, studio where artists come to make work for, from Henry Moore, uh, you know, all all sorts of Damien Damien Hirst did all his work there, you know, later on, um, and so I I. I was just offered that opportunity yeah. and when somebody offers you three months of working for um, working with a new material in a new place new language new um, new way of thinking then you can't say no so I I dropped everything and went there and had that three months uh, and learned to carve marble um, and that that was really difficult because I had previously been constructing things. Yeah. So now with marble, you're you dealing with volume. Away. You take away. Yeah. And boy, did that screw up my head! <laughs> it was just because it's such a precious material. Imagine one thing and, that goes wrong. You don't <laughs> want to. You don't want to sort of uh, mess with mess up something that took millions of years to sort of compress and become and uh, and grow <laughs> whatever marble does um so i was really aware of that and then so i was also very shy of going into it and uh, but i learned the the pointing method um you know where you find points in the block you have a model you work from a model and you point out the model with little dots and and uh, you know reference points and you fix it and then you transfer the measurements into the bigger block and uh, you know the scaled up measurements and it is a it, uh, it's a sort of the ancient technique uh, working with calipers three or four calipers uh, you know, if you extend the calipers, you can actually make these, you know, from these sort of circular points where they come together, um, you know, so you work closer into the stone. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant way. It's very slow. 
and it, it kind of slows you down and that can be a good thing yeah you know, well, i think it always is a good thing uh although i do work with power tools yeah. you know the, from angle grinders to um air hammers and all that um but um uh, that that's what that's about the physicality of working with marble it's such a the physicality of it how do you deal with moving it or even um you know bringing it from i agree it's it seems so macho this whole process of dealing with a well, stone as it is yes but it's also this is why i work with a studio because there's the all the cranes are there the equipments i mean i've got my own tools but they have all the lifting gear and all that and uh, now that i've yeah, that i um kind of i've learned the way to do it i can then uh, ask the artigiani you know the uh, the um people who are employed by the studios to uh, make the pieces for the artist so i can bring my model and they can make, take the worst yeah i mean not the worst i mean the, the the heaviest part of it they can remove that and then offer me a sort of preformed sculpture that needs um that needs finishing you know right. so it could be an inch or, or less or more um so i can then make it my own really but they they deal with the heaviest part of it and set it up for me um and i think that's a luxury i'm allowing myself these days mm-hmm. um because it makes it um you know there's i don't think there is any particular merit and just in in just working incredibly physically hard um if somebody else if let's say a, a young man of 30 uh who is very very strong and highly skilled at that you know if he can do it um or it could be you know, a, a female a young strong female artigiana you know it, it doesn't have to be a guy um but if they can do that i'll pay for the time and i let them do it and then i take it over when i'm uh, when you know sort of when i feel i i need to step in and 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 fine tune it um i mean what what do you say of art i mean i know so many of my own tutors and other you know artists who give the entire thing to somebody else to do the whole thing the whole fabrication is done by somebody they just give them the drawings or the maquettes yeah have you ever thought of that i mean just made the artisana do the entire thing but it's your idea your drawings your plans well i'm um I normally I wouldn't because the carving is my uh, that's the the bit I love. You know there's something about the actual contact with marble even if it's physically incredibly hard and it really you know sort of uh, if you're working with air hammers for 8 hours a day or even just 6 hours it's incredibly tough on your joints on everything and you you risk getting white finger and all sorts of uh nervous disorders <laughs> oh. and uh it's it's not um it's it, it is a um it's something that i really really love doing but i know there is a limit to what i can do so um when i reach that limit you know sort of at that point i'll i'll hand it over and with covid at the moment i've got a commission where i think I I probably won't be able to do much on it because I've made the model the model is pretty perfect and I made that all myself so that is has my stamp on it and what do you um, make the models on them sorry to maquette sorry what what do you make the maquettes or the models which material I, do you use I, I carve the model out of marble oh you do okay um, 
so it's 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 my it's a it's a smaller sculpture it's about 80 centimeters by 70 centimeters that sort of thing um and i i did that myself so i i know what I, I know what it should look like. Now, if I hand that to the guys in the studio, which I have to because I can't get to Italy at the moment, yeah, yeah. Um, then I can, they can actually, they're, they're, you know, these are hugely skilled guys, you know, so they're better carvers than I am. Mm. And so I can really trust them to bring it on to almost finished and then I'll go and finish it off. But if you, if I can't do any of it, it, it's heartbreaking you know this is this is what i'm I've signed up to be a sculptor to make it right and i'm I, you know also this is where my farming um my hands in the dirt comes in you know i like getting my hands dirty and really sort of your transference of your energy in through your hands yeah. to the sculpture. yeah exactly you got it yeah you're absolutely right i the hand is hand heart brain hand heart they all need to work together <laughs> so if i if i only use my brain it's not the best brain i <laughs> you're very modest I, again good hands, so i want to work them together i want to bring them together <laughs> wow so i i saw the picture of anello flow in the salisbury music it is so beautiful and i didn't realize the scale of it and I saw another picture of you standing next to it. I'm like, oh my, it's towering over you, actually. It's huge. It's so beautiful. And it's like, what is it? It's about the flowing of water, isn't it? The, yes. Know. Yes. I mean, it's, it's also the circle, the world and, and our water, our, um, our relationship with water, mm. you know, sort of like the, the, the impending scarcity of it and all that. And, um, so I wanted to, it, it's sort of like a love letter to water, or sort of like a love offering to water. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, I think I was sort of, uh, at the time when I had the idea, it seemed, it struck me as the most simple and beautiful idea to make a circle, you know, because it, it just, the earth is a circle or, well, it's round, I'm not a flat earther. Mm -hmm. um, so it's... Uh, <laughs> it's a globe and it's covered in water so yeah. um it there was that connection and then also watching walking in the mountain streams in italy uh, it's a beautiful area the apuan alps mm. it's a wonderful place to do the walking right and and uh, uh and then to sort of watch these streams and water it's amazing when you watch it it's sort of like it's also got a it's got a skin and you sort of think you know this is where water hits air you know sort of there's a skin forming uh, it's, it's a, it separates it out from air and and somehow i wanted to make this circle that used the the flow of water that the way it stretches itself over boulders and stones as it tumbles down the hill and then goes up again and goes around and i, I just to me it, it's, it's sublime again yeah that's good <laughs> it's yeah. good <laughs> great so um i have so many questions i don't know which direction to take this now so um uh, i also wanted to talk about when did you realize coming back to your own practice as an as a as a sculptor and an artist that you were take being taken seriously when 
is is it when you were offered residencies or when you were given commissions when did you realize that okay people are noticing me now and i'm getting more work my way and um i can live on my own through my uh, i don't have to have a day job <laughs> yeah i know um i don't know i've always sort of it's always been a struggle early especially earlier on it's less so now but it it was uh such a struggle that i never thought i uh i was being taken seriously enough so i had to make more and make make it better and all this you know this sort of thing i've got to offer more so people see that i really i am serious i've got something to say yeah you know it's um it comes in little bits and then suddenly somebody praises you or invites you to do something and they've been uh, or, or you get an award or something and that is so welcome and so wonderful you know because you are um you're hungry for it and the art world is an incredibly cruel place um you know the competition is fierce the the high end it is only about money yeah um maybe not for the artist because the artist may still have some integrity left who knows or maybe you have lots of integrity i don't know but a lot of them don't because they get so sucked into this money making machine that it is terrifying or maybe it's because of the agents and galleries who force them to do it who knows yeah 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 mm. it's sort of like the, the artist gets removed in from that kind of extraordinary experience of actually creating something with your hands right oh, mm. so um next question would be that in these days of you know we are taught in the rca about everything is culture even if you there's somebody who just makes manuscripts and she's calls herself a sculptor so in these days of object not being the most important thing where do you have any thoughts on that do you think of um sculptor being more traditional in terms of being something that you make with your hands something which has to have a materiality a physicality to it or do you think it could be more conceptual i i don't know i think there's there's so many ways there's so many ways i think what i object to is when people say this is this is sculpture and that isn't or because i mean it's it's kind of become like old fashioned to say that oh, i make objects it's more yes. <laughs> it's more about what's in here and how you express yourself and link ideas together and uh, and you have to kind of uh, like uh, you know you have to be a bit sheepish and say no i want to do something which is quite traditional still and maybe have a mix of both I'm, I'm quite happy with uh, you know if it's old old fashioned so to to uh to make ob- an object because I know that the what the object uh, what it contains or what it what it's about and at that point it's the best way that I can convey that so it would be an object I mean I I've done stuff like when I I raised uh I I uh incubated chickens little chicks in a gallery in the mid 90s okay. uh, you know because I was sort of like commenting you know this is the ultimate of creativity to sort of you know this is 
what God can do. You know, I can't do this, but I can put the plump thing in the gallery. And then, and then I had sort of chickens running through the gallery. For, the opposite for, of Damien Hurst. <laughs> he yeah. talked about the weeks. The, the chicks were running around until the gallerist sort of told me to take them away. <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, that, I mean, that didn't end up with any object um, to sell. Um, so is that important though? Thing. Yeah. Sorry? Is that important to have something that you can show for your for posterity that, you know, this is what I've made and this can last for the next 200 years? <laughs> Well, that's actually quite frightening. What if you get it so wrong and you've got this embarrassing object that is, outlives you? That's that, that's a terrible thought. So, oh no. <laughs> but That almost know, never happens, I think. Nothing well, is ever embarrassing after about a hundred years. It's always like, oh my God, that's, that's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, that's a sort of like the last act is to sort of smash things up. <laughs> no, hire a skip and send it away. Because, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think uh, life has a way of composting things, you know. Um, things uh, disappear. If, if, if something has value, then somehow it pops up again. I mean, that's why we do have... Uh, museums with amazing and wonderful and inspiring yeah. works of art because somebody sort of says over my dead body you know this is this needs to uh, this needs to stay and I, I think you can't really that's why you can't really judge and say this is this is art and this isn't or this is, well I suppose you can to some extent but you know if if you can see it in a perspective in, in a couple of hundred years time you know it'll look it will mean something else and certain things will just not mean anything yeah and so you know i i don't know i'll just let it run <laughs> yeah that comes to the next brings me to the next question about who is it what would your ideal situation be who would uh, you want to collect your do you want collectors who are individual wealthy people or do you want your work to be in a museum or do you want your work to be what kind of um uh, legacy would you like for your work well I, I would like my work to be seen i would like to maybe make one or two more pieces that are out uh you know out in the open somewhere um but i, I also love it when a collector comes and says you know i i've, I've seen this I've, and, and i've looked at it and i really love it and want to live with it and that's that is i think that's a huge compliment and it's it's wonderfully satisfying um but certain things would be really i mean at some stage you know we all want to have a sort of retrospective exhibition somewhere like where you can show the development of the work and yeah. see how stuff at the end sort of tie up with stuff at the beginning yeah you know to see a sort of the, the red thread that runs through i would love that so you know that's i thought you I... already had when i saw a catalog which kind of catalogs all your earlier works and then ends yeah. uh, haven't you had a retrospective yet or are you planning not, one so not really no not for a while i mean the sort of i've had some interesting shows or participated in in group shows that were really exciting but I I haven't I haven't really sort of had a, an overview 
maybe maybe it'll come right and um, i also want to talk about how you managed having a family i know you do have uh, you have a son i mean and you managed um, all this you know traveling to residencies and working in your studios the whole day how did you do it i mean and especially those uh, this was about 20 years ago when it was so much harder for women to do something completely different and to have it all you either you had to choose either you have a family or you have a career you couldn't have had both and you did both quite well and i well it was always on the edge a bit because you you as a mother you always feel guilty mm. and I, uh, i i remember being away uh, because i was offered um um something in in new york um when ha- my son was a year and a half so i brought my uh, you know you always had i always had an au pair girl to help look after him so it was in the house i was in the house and uh, the au pair girl was in the house and, and so, so it it uh, he he was always really well looked after but i remember that was too soon you know so i remember flying out to new york and crying my eyes out on the plane there and then sitting sobbing there and oh. having a shitty meeting <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was just breaking my heart because my i, I wanted to be with my baby yeah so, yeah although my mother I brought my mother over from germany who's really good with babies <laughs> and uh, i think my sister also came and the au pair girl was there and, uh, you know it was all right but uh, it just uh, it was difficult it must have been uh, but the thing is with uh, the difference with yours is because you were recognized so early on you knew that there was a progression in your career which and you knew that if you had not taken that chance there could be a problem uh-huh. it's for other people who are like who are still up and coming and who um who can't afford to leave their child with because they know yes. they don't know what will happen their art might not they, they may not be recognized and nothing might come out of it so you either have this or that <laughs> yeah yes i know that is heartbreaking it really is um i think i've been incredibly two things incredibly lucky really really lucky in the people that came to me at the right time and the quality of the beautiful friendships and help and all that I've been incredibly lucky and I've been incredibly pig-headed as well. Yeah, I, I think that's important. My my husband is sort of saying, you know, you you know, you you wouldn't you you wouldn't back down. You would do the art, you know. And Dog with a bone. Yeah, you have to be so like uh, mentally strong, yeah, isn't it? Focus, totally focus. Yes. Right. And um yeah, so also about i know that artists definitely meet um like for men at least they have this thing about meeting in a pub and talking about politics and and that's when ideas are incubated and collaborations happen how did you manage that with babies and families and did you do it like well i um i mean uh, with the, with, if you've got a family or kids or, or or whatever yeah um well it's usually one or the other <laughs> both um you you take them with you or you don't you know mm-hmm. you either make sure they're set up well so they don't miss you much um or you find a way of taking them along and uh i suppose you know 
going to galleries, going to, going to openings. Um, whilst when my son was little, I could take him along. He, he soon clocked that it wasn't about him, so he didn't really like <laughs> <laughs> So is he so, an artist too? Or? Um, well, he did digital arts. He's now 36. And uh, um, no, he's not. But he does a lot of drawing. You know, he, he him and his dad go and so, uh, go to life drawing classes together and so they're enjoying that very much um but he's not he he's in the wine business nice even better <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so uh, with all this busy busyness and commissions i'm sure which we didn't talk about which i want to talk about later how did um, the administrative bit come into it like with the royal society i know it must be just completely like you know all the eating into your time and uh, mental space or does it yes but it's also i think it's also uh it's also very rewarding because yes. i think uh, I, f i feel at, at my stage in my career i can afford to take uh, to give back time and uh, the uh, the royal study of sculptors Uh, there is a uh, there's an office there which uh, and there's a wonderful director and a fabulous uh, president and uh, and uh, there's a uh, membership secretary and all sorts of people and lots of volunteers it's a really good team and they do a lot of the actual admin work i mean i uh, i just got to keep an eye on things and, and turn up for meetings and uh, more policy and, uh, making kind of look thing. after the membership sorry more policy making strategic decisions yeah i think yeah thinking uh, working with, together with the trustees we we work out strategies and uh, um yeah and uh, make sure the membership is actually happy and the whole society is um is a place that really has an important fulfills an important function in the art world and uh, and that needs sort of reassessing all the time and, and directing and, and that's where um i'm supporting the director and the uh, well the president and the director so uh, in these times of um all this you know race relations and yeah you know decolonizing and stuff has that ever you know do you ever consider these issues when you talk about it in meetings how to have more inclusivity how to have oh, absolutely more... yes i mean we would love it to be a really good balance but this is what society is trying to achieve at the moment yeah you know i mean it's a, it, it's taken a long time but here we are and now now it's the green light and uh, and we've got this bring it together that's mm. you know for all our sakes yeah. you know to sort of so we benefit from each other's culture cultural um you know discoveries and and directions and and treasures yeah you know? yeah so um, it's very much very much in the, the aim at the moment and we're very very, very much addressing it so yeah That's great. So, um, do you have any collaborations that um, are happening in the future? Uh, like, are you? What are your new projects? Did the you know the lockdown make any changes? Did it change for the better? Have you thought of other ways of working? Um, 
did the, the change the present circumstances are so kind of unprecedented has that affected you in any way well it is it is affecting me um as um in my thinking because somehow you realize that um you know coronavirus here is, is in some ways it's only a sort of symptom of something that is much much bigger underlying you know that the the reason why it came about is uh, because there's something pretty deeply unhealthy mm. in uh, in our in in our dealings with nature and society and everything so i think there's there's so much that needs to be addressed and worked out. I mean, after, before the lockdown, I was sort of making an incredibly, incredibly dark pieces of work um, for aimed at an exhibition in uh, in the uh, Pangolin Gallery, London, in yeah. the windows. There's sort of these five windows right. all painted black, quite big, and uh, so I was making these installations for each of those, and they they will happen later on this year, I think. Um, but it was. It, it, you know, it was sort of like an awareness, something really horrible and big is coming Yeah, that's quite prescient, no? I mean, you, I mean it, it would be a bit odd to um, present something too positive and you, <laughs> considering all the darkness that is there right now. So, yeah. And, um, and also I wanted to talk about one more thing was about aging how has that you have said that you know age is kind of quite liberating and it makes you look at it look at things with a different perspective what would you say to that i mean um as a person who's older and who's still very much doing all the sculptures yourself and using your physical physicality still how how what what would you tell women who have insecurities <laughs> about growing well, older. I, 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 I could say that, um, you know, the best, I, I think the one thing that I feel is that I've, I've not yet made my best work. So if you get to my age, which is at the moment as it stands, 71, it means that I, um, I, uh, I, I can look forward to making my best work. And uh, there are lots of artists who, especially women, who haven't really had that sort of support, career support yeah. from galleries to sort of build them up and make them lots of money in return. You know, that if that hasn't happened, then you it, it leaves you much more um, self-sufficient. Mm. And therefore, it's up to... You know, so I have that much more freedom. It's up to me to make decisions and and how to drive my my art forward and, and which which way um, it's going. And that I think is a, is is really it's um, it's so helpful because you can never sort of step back and, and rest and say, right, I have arrived you know, <laughs> because I I I don't think I'll ever arrive. You know. So would you that would that mean that you would learn new techniques and use other materials and like you did with marble? Would you introduce something else into your um, quiver of arrows, so to speak? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to think that um, that I can. There are still new things. It's probably with the new media um, mm. that that. Um, 
I might um, develop ideas, maybe with work with sound or film or, um, and, uh, you know, do, do things I haven't done before, because otherwise, it's, if you make the same thing twice, it's boring the second time around, you know, unless you make it better, in that case, that's, a, a, that's allowed, but after that, you know, because once it becomes multiples, no, it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you've never made, like, um, your work again, I mean, you've never revisited something and remade it in a different way, or you just keep making completely different works, it's like, that's amazing. Well, yeah. well I, I think there's sort of different strands, uh, like, the work that I make with steel look different to the work that I make with marble, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm driving each one along. So the mar the steel work is is changing um, accord or, well according to what I feel is 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 important. You know, I I change it. It moves on, and uh, it's really so beautiful. The marble, but they don't they don't work together somehow. You know, but I I it's sort of like I'm splitting myself into two. <laughs> Yeah, that's another thing. Maybe work mixing the marble and the steel together. <laughs> that would be a good one. Maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, I've spent almost an hour. I'll uh, have to let you go. And thank you so much, Anmut. And um, yes. I wish you all the best for your future endeavors. And oh, thank you. Um, and you've been really gracious, considering you didn't know who I was, and you just agreed to speak to me for this podcast. Uh, this is something you always say yes to things. I think. Ah, well, okay. Say yes to things. Yeah, I love uh, talking to strangers. Unless it's illegal, unless it's illegal, <laughs> you really don't want to do it. <laughs> that is such good advice, Almut. I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Saying yes well, to everything. Lovely to meet you. I hope I'll see what you do sometime. Yeah. Please. Yeah, yeah. I I think we follow each other on Instagram, so that's good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Almut. And I'll send you the link um to the podcast soon. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.